Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human, we have blind spots and biases and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing, but we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations, and we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope that you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. someone to tell me, well, get used, get ready for gas prices to go up. Here comes $4 a gallon. I'm thinking of one mutual person that we know <laughs> in particular that has shared endless memes to that effect. Endless. I feel like I haven't seen them because I've been blocked for about a year, but... Ooh. I know, right? I didn't know anyway. that. Um, <laughs> but consistently for the last 10 months, I've heard the same thing over and over and over again. And I feel in my soul that a simple change in presidential party affiliation is probably not enough to skyrocket the price we pay to get from here to there. But I like to come to the table informed for these kinds of conversations, and I just didn't have the information that I needed to make my case. And that's what we're here for, right? To look at these topics that cause unnecessary arguments and divisions and find out exactly what is going on. So in this episode, we're talking about Gas prices. Yep. Yay. What goes into the price of gas? Can we really blame price changes on a political party or a president? And what current economic trends might mean for our wallets? And probably some fun trivia too. Hmm. Because like I always say, who doesn't love trivia? You know, like, hold on. I just found out <laughs> that you have a monthly trivia night. Yeah. So you are using our podcast as a vehicle to broaden your trivia knowledge pool for your own nefarious ends. No, no, no. My entire mm. life is a tool to broaden my my trivia knowledge. Like the rabbit holes I have been down, uh, well, when I'm supposed to actually be working, <clears throat> doing everything from about. researching uh, what it takes to officially register a tartan for a fictitious um, entity or group or character. Did you know that Hello Kitty has two officially registered Scottish tartans? Are they pink? Uh, they're like pinkish and grayish and they're very Hello Kitty. That's very cool, actually. I love Disney it. registered tartans for Brave. There's all kinds of them out there. Uh, and then also I learned today that coconuts are groups and avocados are berries and strawberries. I knew it was, was going to make it into the podcast. I it just has to. How, how, how far into to. this are we? We're like We're, four <laughs> minutes, if that. Look, I'm I'm so disturbed. I'm so disturbed by the things that I learned about avocados and strawberries and coconuts today that I just had to share that with the world. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you want some bonus knowledge, go Google that. 
Yeah. I'm sure you'll find some great stuff. Avocados but, are a berry. That's the most it, just insulting fact of the day. I know. So are tomatoes. I, I, I actually didn't know that one. I knew you that tomatoes that? were a berry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, I did not. Okay, so gas-related trivia <laughs> here, right? The average price of gas the year that I was born, 1983, was $1.16, which equals about $2.37 if you adjust for inflation. The year that John was born, it was 90 cents which is $1.59 adjusted for inflation. Thus proving, yet again, 1988 was the best year. (laughs) Best year. I mean, 1988 was a pretty solid year. It's just great. It's just great. (laughs) Now that everybody knows my birth year, oh no. Oh no. (laughs) They're going to steal my identity. Your identifications. My my identifications and take all of our our pod money from us. Um... (laughs) Anyway, like any yeah. <laughs> like any consumer product, um, the price of gasoline uh, reflects the costs of the various goods and services it takes to bring it to your friendly neighborhood gas station. Um, so there's a whole process involved in bringing that gas to you, and you're paying for the whole process. You, the consumer. Um, so everything starts with barrels of Texas tea. Crude oil. So in today's market, the cost of crude oil makes up about 56% of the price you pay at the pump. Um, I have seen historically, not right now, but historically, I've seen estimates of up to 70%. Yeah, there yeah. were there was a time when it was up to 70%. Yeah. Which is crazy. Crazy. But right now, we're looking at that 56% range. That cost right there, like, obviously... It's one of the reasons that gas prices fluctuate as often as they do. They drive the majority of the price. Um, Generally, crude oil prices are determined by global supply and demand. Uh, When everyone wants oil and there's not enough to go around, prices go up. When there's a bunch of extra oil and nobody wants it, prices go down. Thank you for coming to Economics 101. (laughs) We saw oil prices bottom out significantly, very significantly in the spring of 2020 as travel, public transportation, shipping, construction, and other oil-consuming industries came to a standstill. I actually heard talk, theoretical, it never happened obviously, but I heard talk about the possibility of oil going negative per barrel. So West, uh, I think it was one, I think it was West Texas crude, but it was one, one of the Texas varieties of oil actually traded futures at zero dollars and i think they did go negative for a day that's just incredible yeah they literally could not pay people to take their oil because people would have to pay to store it and it would cost money so yeah anyway more about futures and speculation later yeah exactly Uh, but but crude oil prices are more complicated than just that basic economics 101 supply and demand situation. The first thing that makes it more complicated is that you've got the influence of OPEC. If you are an adult, you have heard that acronym floated around on the news more often than you probably care to. Yeah. Um, in 2018, 41% of the world's crude oil supply was produced under the oversight of an organization called OPEC, which is the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. 
And uh, what they do is they attempt to manage oil production and the oil markets by setting crude oil production targets or quotas for their member countries. And because OPEC exports about 60% of the total petroleum traded internationally, that coalition's ability to control production has a significant effect on the availability of oil and how much each barrel costs. So when they tighten down and produce less, like they're doing right now, oil prices go up. So oil production in non-OPEC countries also affects these prices by contributing to the global supply, but they just do it on a smaller scale. Much smaller. Much smaller. (laughs) Yeah. OPEC contains the world's largest crude oil producers and, um, well, we'll talk about that in a second. OPEC countries also control a really important indicator for global markets that's called spare production capacity. And that's the volume of oil production that can be brought on within 30 days and sustained for at least 90 days. So if there's some sort of a crisis, how quickly can they start producing extra oil and then how much can they make? Uh, So, for example, Saudi Arabia, which is the world's largest oil exporter, historically has about 1.5 to 2 million barrels per day spare capacity on hand for market management. If there was a crisis they could spin things up within 30 days and be making an extra one and a half to two million barrels per day of crude oil. This spare capacity is kind of an indicator of the oil market's ability to respond if there's a crisis or a supply interruption, which would affect availability, which would therefore affect prices. Right. Um, For some perspective, I think the world total consumption of oil per day is just north of 100 million barrels. Yeah, that's um, a lot. Which is, yeah, it's a lot. But if Saudi Arabia can produce 2 million barrels, then they can, pro- like in reserve, if they've got that extra um, production capacity, um, that's 2% yeah. right there. Just that Saudi Arabia can just pump out at any time. 2% yeah. of the world demand per day. So, and that's not like that's not even considering what they already keep on hand. Yeah, the extra barrels that they keep already in existence that they don't have to pump. Yeah. The, again, we're talking like last week when we were talking about federal deficit numbers and the cost of legislation. This is stupid numbers. We're in a hundred million barrels of crude oil every single day. Yeah, it's, it's huge. <laughs> It is ridiculous. Um, I think global reserves of oil, this is hard to get an actual estimate of, but there are roughly one and a half trillion barrels of oil still in the ground. And we all know from last week how long it takes to go from a million to a trillion. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. (laughs) 1.5 trillion barrels of oil is enough to last humanity a considerable amount of time. Considerable. Um, uh, 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 let's see, 150,000, 150 million, 150 billion. Yeah, 1.5 trillion divided by 100. We'll just say 100 million. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was. Yeah, why not? Yeah, Sounds so right. 15,000 days. That's actually, that's what, only that's 41 like 50 years. years? Yeah, 41 years. Um, hmm. Still, but still, that's just what we have on hand right now. 
yeah. if all if all production capacity ceased. Uh, well, uh, projected, not necessarily out of the ground. I'm not sure now. I think oh, I I think I might have a bad stat there because mm. um, I really don't think we're going to run out of oil in the next 41.1 years. Seems a little off. No. Um, may Feels like there should be a 10x factor in there. Yeah. I may have, uh, may have. Now, now I got to correct it. I got to correct it because it's in my head. Um, Math is hard. <laughs> it's true though. No, you know what? I was right. My math was right. So hmm. this is this is according to um, Britannica, Encyclopedia Britannica. You might recognize the name. Yeah, in 2007, the world's proven reserves amounted to roughly 1.3 trillion barrels. Uh, the world's population consumed about 30 billion barrels of oil in 2007, which is actually a low year. And at this rate of uh, consumption, disregarding any new reserves that might be found, uh, the world's proven reserves would be depleted in about 43 years. So I can math. I can math. That's um, good news. Yeah. You know, we can only burn up this planet another 43 years. Oh, yeah. I, I don't um, think we'll take that long. Yeah. <sighs> No, we'll be dead long before then, I think. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Not I mean, dead, but f flooded out of the <laughs> coastal regions. Anyway. <sighs> we digress. Mild exaggeration on how, maybe how fast the planet might burn, but uh, it doesn't Just feel mild. like it. It doesn't feel like it. Anyway, however, uh, because of advances in exploration and unconventional oil extraction, things like fracking, uh, fracking in particular became really big after 2008, I think. Um, yeah. By 2015, the world's proven oil reserves had risen to approximately 1.7 trillion. Uh, so a significant amount of oil that we just hadn't been able to unlock. And that's the thing. A lot of oil comes from like the Alberta oil sands, which we didn't really have an effective way to extract, extract that oil until relatively recently. Right. And even then, it's super ineffective. And then there's fracking and, and being able to reach the pretty deep reserves. Anyway, we have digressed a considerable amount. Yes. Suffice it to say, there's a lot of oil left. There is. Um, to further complicate things, though, uh, let's talk about futures. Let's circle back to that again. The world oil market doesn't just buy and sell already existing barrels of oil. Um, they also buy and sell contracts for future delivery of oil at those prices without getting too deep into how the stock market works. <laughs> you can basically buy something today and bet that it's going to sell for X amount over or X amount under what you bought it for and plan accordingly to make a, a profit. Or rather, you can offer to buy something on a certain day, assuming that All it right. will actually be worth more than that. It, regardless. Yeah. It's complicated. You don't have to have a physical product to sell on the commodities market. You can sell contracts. No. Yes. Those literally the sentence that I missed or rather elaborated on a little too much was we're not going to expand on how the futures market worked right before I <laughs> expanded on how the futures market worked a well, little bit. No, no, no. Like when I wrote, we're not going to get into the details of how futures markets work. My brain was bleeding because <laughs> I was trying to like, I got, I got down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, it, and then I was like, "There's no way that I I can explain this." Yeah, so that's actually uh, might as well address it now. A lot of what we're talking about today is 
admittedly a pretty high level overview, like a, an oversimplification of things. Um, just papers on what happened to oil in 2008 alone, they're like hundreds of pages long just yeah. because it's so complicated. Um, so consider that as we talk about these things, that there is more, there's far more nuance than we are able to bring in an hour long episode. Yeah, we're um, going full in Eagle Montoya here. And we're going to uh, sum up. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like our favorite phrase. The kicker out of all of the futures market is they don't actually have to take delivery on those contracts, right? They can still sell those futures at a higher price and buy others at lower prices. And all of that speculation and trading, they don't actually touch oil ever, not a single barrel. And it all factors into these price points. Yeah. Okay, so the price of crude oil is the bulk of, of what you're paying when you pump gas, but refining is another factor in the price of gas. There are a lot of things that go into the total cost of refining, the type and quality of oil and where it's being refined and whether it's being turned into diesel or regular gasoline. But like every business out there, gas and oil companies pass those costs on to the retailer and then the retailer passes them along to the consumer. So these refining costs make up about 13% of the price that you pay at the pump. You want to know, here's some interesting trivia for people. Oh. If you did not know, there are different types of fuel that we use at different types of year, at different times of the year, rather. Yeah, I there, saw that. There are glad you brought that up. winter blends of, of the gas that you use in your car, and there are summer blends. And mm -hmm. you'll never know that that's you know which one you're putting in your car aside from the season and that's one of the reasons that gas prices go up in the summer because the summer blend is less polluting than the winter blend and therefore more expensive to produce interesting i filled my car with oktoberfest this morning so i'm just kidding that's a funny joke i mean I there are cars that run off of alcohol if they run off of beer that would be incredible also the germans probably would have figured that out a long time ago Probably, but that'd be a good use for all of the Coors Light in the world. And just about any IPA. Oh, they're all trash. They're disgusting. Yeah, I said it. Come at me. Anyway, so <laughs> another factor that gets passed on to you, the consumer at the pump, is marketing and distribution costs, which should come as no surprise. You pay for marketing all the time. Yeah. Um, they are about the same. They come in at around 12% of the cost. These are the costs the company pays to convince you to buy their gas. So really, it's the money that you spend to spend money mm -hmm. on their product. Don't think too hard about it. Yeah. You'll get irrationally angry, and it's just the way the world works. <laughs> it is. And it's just like to convince you to buy their gas and get it at the gas station that they want you to get it at, because this includes local advertisements from the mom and pop stations even that to put it in your car. Um, in some cases, the gas station where you fill up is actually franchised by an oil company. You'll recognize those as your Shell, your Chevron, your BPs. In other cases, the gas station chain or owner is purchasing gas from a supplier, jumping through a few extra distribution hoops, and that might add a few more percentage points to the overall cost. These are your, like I said, the mom and pop, the one-off convenience stores. Yep. Even chains, I think like Casey's, they're not really sponsored by anybody. Yeah. Um, for for my East Coast people, Casey's is a lot like um, 
like a wawa. sheets and a wawa. Uh, it is better like it's more like a sheets than it yeah. is like a wawa. Yeah. Although I have learned the uh, incredible value of wawa. Can't really get that with electric charging stations. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will some some enterprising entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean we have electric redundant. charging we'll stations at our Macadoodles, so you can charge your Tesla. And buy beer that's not an IPA. Macadoodles is an alcoholic shop in yes, the Ozarks. It is, it, is an, it is an alcohol and gas station chain. Yep. Which is Yeehaw. delightful. Man, the Ozarks are a wild place, guys. I love yeah. it. I love it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what else I love? Getting back on track. I'm sorry. I just got to clarify something really quick. I think people <laughs> might hear that and they'd be like, well, I can buy alcohol at my gas station all the time. No, 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 no. You no, misunderstand. Is... <laughs> it is it, it is an alcohol store that just yes. happens to have fuel pumps outside. Yeah, it's like it's like really big gas station, itty bitty convenience <laughs> store, fuel pumps. Massive, and massive alcohol. Stations. Massive alcohol selection. Name the alcohol. You can get it there. You uh oh yeah, no, uh watermelon moonshine. We totally mm. got that the last time we were there. Anyway. Back on track. Anyway, we're so far off. Yep. We're going to round out the general price that you pay at the pump with everyone's favorite inevitability, taxes. Death. Oh, taxes. Yes. Yeah. No, you just literally die when you go to pump gas. <laughs> Some people feel like it. I guarantee it. I uh, felt like it last time I filled my truck up. But in today's market, uh, taxes are about 19% of what you pay for gas. Federal excise tax is 18.3 cents per gallon on gasoline and 24.3 cents per gallon on diesel. And those taxes haven't actually changed since 1993. I was blows my mind. And they don't, they are not adjusted for inflation at all. Like literally they just not have, they have not changed in the last 28 years. If it's because like they don't quote unquote need to, because with the exception of 2020, the number of people driving and the consumption of fuel has gone up enough right. to keep pace. We just don't. Yeah. Um, there's also a federal leaking underground storage tank fee mm. of a tenth of a cent per gallon on both of those fuels. And then you add to that a whole host of state taxes, environmental taxes, special taxes, infe- inspection fees, and excises ta- and Ooh. excise taxes from the state, too. There you go. And then in some cases... There are local taxes and fees added as well. Right. And then, uh, of course, you get to the station markup. So it's a retail, right, situation. So they have to make their profit. And there's no set standard for how much a station can mark up its gas. There's no cap or minimum or percentage. Um, And it's one place where stations can adjust prices quickly to be competitive in the market. Um, So you could be paying a few extra cents or you could be paying a dime or more on top of those other cost factors. It really just depends on what the station's goals are at that point. Mm -hmm. However, some states have laws that prevent stations from charging less than a certain percentage over what they paid for the gas so that large chains don't drive prices too low for smaller individually owned stations. The, uh, the Walmart tactic where they just yeah. sell everything at a loss until all of the small businesses in the town go out of business and then they <laughs> put stuff at their normal price because right. mom and pop can't compete. 
this markup is the reason that you can have four gas stations on four corners at an intersection and they can all have fluctuating prices and one will go down by a penny a gallon and then all of the other ones will go down go by down a penny a gallon. It's not it's not like they refilled their tanks and they have a new lower price. It's just that they have that flexibility inside of their markup. Yeah. That and isn't people just... are a sucker for a penny a gallon. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> I know people who will drive like 15 blocks out of their way to fill up for a penny per gallon less. And yeah. it's like you wasted more money driving to that gas station yeah. than you would have spent. It had been 14 cents a gallon on yeah. an average tank. Or sorry, it had been 14 cents a fill-up. Fill-up. A fill-up on an yeah. average like mid-sized tank. Yeah. My uh, my Xterra has like a, I think I topped it out one time at 18.4. I yeah. mean, I'm not, I can barely remember to put gas in my car before it turns off. I'm not driving across town for a penny a gallon. Yeah. I'm not doing it. Also, my time is worth money. I know it sounds yeah. stupid, but like it's overused. But like I, I now that I'm like older and my time is very limited, I pay premiums to have more time doing stuff yes. that I want. And I am happy about it. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Again, back to the focus. Hey, this is what know, happens. When, this is what happens when both of your hosts have just rampant ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> so. Which is another reason that I'm absolutely not driving across town. True. I will forget why I, have I am to there. Automate some things in my life. Yep. Okay, so Patterns. let's take a trivia break. Patterns are useful. For a minute. Yes. How much do you think the average family spends on gas in a year? <laughs> Too much is going to yeah. be the answer that everybody gives. I'm going to see if I can. Uh, T and I actually spend more than the average family i would hazard but only because we race motorcycles so <laughs> well yes and you guys do have a fairly decent commute right uh well tia works from home so <laughs> oh that's nice not well she did up until today this is her last day at her at her Aww. current position so she's on a mini sabbatical hey babe hope you like this podcast i love you very much i'm sorry that you thought that i was calling you out on our last podcast when i was talking about people who play video games and people who don't understand people who play video games i wasn't talking <laughs> oh, about no. you i'm not laughing i swear that's funny <sighs> well anyway how much okay. does the average family spend <laughs> on gasoline uh per year According to one source, it is right around $3,000 per year. I can understand why people would then be uh, be salty if they had the perception that one party was better than the other and the bad party won. Exactly. Exactly. So let's get into that for a minute here. With all of the factors that we know contribute to the price of gas uh, that we pay as consumers... Is there any truth to that idea that gas prices can be linked to a political party or an administration? Yeah. So this is a complicated question, as one might, you know, expect. It's not like gas has a stable price. In fact, if you if you could use one word to describe oil prices since, say, the 1970s, uh, stable would probably not be on that list. Um, we're not going to talk about the gas crunch of the 70s in this particular session, um, except to say that a domino of events in the 70s sent the price of crude oil uh, to about $40 a barrel by the end of the decade, by 1980. In 2021 dollars, 
that would be about $150 a barrel, which um, is a lot, people. That's a lot. That's high. It almost immediately collapsed, actually, after it spiked all the way up there. The price fluctuated between $30 and $50, adjusted for inflation, until the early 2000s. Uh, by the end of 2001, it was as low as $20 a barrel. Some of you might remember those halcyon days of filling up your tank for like 10 bucks, <laughs> which is about $31 a barrel in 2021 money. And then it just kept going up and up and up. By mid-2007, the real price had tripled. And then at that point, it decided it was really going to take off. By July 2007, oil prices hit an all-time high of $145 a barrel, aye, aye, aye. which is $184 a barrel in 2021. That's very expensive. That is, That would be pretty firmly in the $5 a gallon range, just about. For the remainder of this section, this sentence, and the next few, I'm going to give you the cost that's in 2021 since it's close there's no point in giving you the like the split there so after the summer of uh, the pain at the pump the cost nosedived right back down to 70 dollars a barrel before leveling out a few years later at about or for a few years rather at about 105 dollars a barrel and then dropped and has bounced back and forth between about 40 and 60 a barrel with the exception of last year uh, which caused it to dip all that to say it's just the price is all over the place yeah, but these people didn't come here to listen to you read the price of oil over the last 15 years. They want us to dish. You want to know who is responsible for the spikes. Was it the Republicans? The Democrats? Was it because one side set the other side up? If you've listened to us long enough, you probably know that we're setting you up for a not very gratifying answer here. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole reason that we exist is because 90% of the stuff that we talk about as a society is oversimplified to the point of absolute absurdity by being reduced to a political party affiliation. So yeah, it doesn't really look like the political party of the president Ooh. has much effect at all on the price of oil. Alliteration. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Political party of the president. Simply put. Democratic presidents represented both the best and the worst oil performance, while Republican presidencies kind of oversaw the middle. Basically, oil prices are determined by the global marketplace. The U.S. produces less than 10% of the world supply, and therefore the outcome of any given presidential election will have little impact on the prices. And since the price of crude oil makes up over 50% of the cost that you pay at the pump, well, you can see how this would be a critical indicator of why presidential party doesn't really matter for your gas prices. There are other factors that are also outside of any politician's control that also impact that price, like the weather. Hurricane Ida had a significant impact on crude oil prices because it shut down so many offshore oil platforms. The projected loss there exceeds 40 million barrels of oil. Big number. In contrast, American politics uh, and politicians have just very little impact on demand. Of the, I think, ah, yeah, 100,100,000 100, 100, 
barrels of oil consumed a day in 2019. Yes, the largest single consumer of oil at 19,400,000 barrels a day. The United States was having an impact. We still only accounted for about 20% of total oil consumption. And no American politician will be able to make that number drop to zero overnight. So as we've seen, you know, shifting away from gas-powered vehicles has and will continue uh, to take place at an exceedingly slow rate. <laughs> painfully slow. Literally. Literally painfully slow. The relatively small losses any particular law will have on gas consumption globally will be indistinguishable from background noise, statistically. It's likely that the perception that Republicans are better for fuel prices derives more from sheer dumb luck and political propaganda than anything inherent to political ideologies. For example, Democrats held office for both world wars, which had a severe negative effect on oil supply, increasing the cost of gasoline significantly. And while the lowest gas prices of all time, adjusted for inflation, were under Bill Clinton, a Democrat, the second and third highest gas prices were also under a Democratic president, Wilson and Obama. This does mean that the highest prices were under Republicans, namely Warren Harding, um, but I defy any of you to tell me when Warren Harding was president. <laughs> and that's the problem. Right. That fact is probably overlooked due to recency bias. We just don't care because it happened a long time ago and we've got more, uh, not necessarily relevant information, but more recent information that our brains are like, mm, that's the ticket right there. That's my answer because I saw it just like yesterday. And let's be honest, it's, it's just more convenient. Well, yeah, but that's really cynical, Robin. I it's a really cynical, cynical way. Surely a politician would not just make an argument because it was politically expedient and convenient. Not right? Surely not. Surely not. Even if they knew it was a, a dang lie. Upstanding people of high moral character. All of them. That's every, what they are. Every single one of them. Every single one. <laughs> Republicans have also been in office during more significant oil findings and advancements, which has nothing to do with them being in office. It just means that they coincided. And yeah. it does mean then that they benefit from the impact of these boons and the impact those boons have on pricing. On balance, when factoring inflation into the calculation, gas prices weren't much different 100 years ago than they are today. Like I said, under Harding, gas was really expensive. It was the equivalent of $4.03 a gallon, which is that's an average. It's the highest average fuel cost. So yes, while some people have paid more than that, uh, on average, nobody, not all of us, not more than 50% of us have paid more than that ever. And that makes gas more expensive historically than it is today. Really kind of robs a lot of the, the wind out of the sail of the argument. <laughs> right. To really put the final nail in this particular coffin if you take averages into consideration, under Democratic presidents, <laughs> gas has cost an average of $2.69 a gallon. 
under Republicans, it has averaged $2.79 a gallon. So what I hear you saying is that these darn Republicans have cost me like 18 bucks. Yeah. For a tank of, no, a dollar, sorry. A dollar, I I thought you were going to say like 18 bucks total in your life, which you probably. (laughs) These darn Republicans have cost me a dollar and 84 cents. Every time you fill up. When Republicans have been president. When Republicans are president. Sporadically scattered throughout the years. Yeah, roughly. I think it's very clear that that is an inconsequential difference. Yeah. I mean, grand scheme of thing, yeah, people will drive out of their way for 10 cent difference on gas over the course of (laughs) the history that we have been recording fuel prices. Statistically the same number. But I am absolutely going to pull it out to troll some people. 100%. Yeah, I mean, actually. 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 Crunch the numbers. Exactly. Speaking of an actually, today I learned that the very first purpose-built gas station in the United States opened in St. Louis in 1905. Which is apropos of nothing, but very cool because we're both from Missouri. Well, uh, you're- Ish. Missouri by way of Wisconsin. No. Oh, oh my sorry. God. <gasps> Literally never say that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I meant, I meant oh Vikings. God, I made my Minnesota. I was thinking of the people you hated. I'm very sorry. Oh, my God. I'm very sorry. Might as well say I'm from Iowa. Well, no. I wouldn't say anything so horrible. No, no, no. I My apologies. The way my brain works is... Well, if she's listening to this, my cousin Carrie, who is actually from Wisconsin, is going to get a hell of a kick out of that. I'm sure. You should write in and let us know, Carrie. Let us know if you laughed at me insulting Robin so incredibly. So desperately. So so deeply wounding her. (sighs) My heart hurts. I'm sorry. Skull Vikings, okay? Skull Vikings. There you go. Even though I'm a Chiefs fan. Did I tell you that I got to meet Casey Wolf? No, but we're not talking about that right now. Let's talk about where we're going from here in gas. In gas, right? So knowing what we all know now about how and why we pay what we do for gas, it is probably no surprise that experts don't see the price of gas coming down anytime in the very near future. Gasp. Gasp. But this is the part of the podcast where we give you talking points Tidbits of information that you can use to shape the conversations that you will inevitably have about how expensive it is to fill your truck or your minivan, if that's your scene. So the first reason that gas prices are not going anywhere right now is that OPEC has production on lock. Mm -hmm. That group, along with allied non-OPEC countries, has significantly restricted production since earlier in the year to reduce supply and help the oil market recover from the insanity of the pandemic. Demand was so low in the spring of 2020 that the group agreed to cumulatively cut nearly 10 million barrels of crude oil production per day. And then they slowly increased production as the world began to recover. But until this month, they were still producing 5.8 million barrels per day less than usual. So starting this month, they're going to gradually increase the amount of oil that they're producing per day. Um, But as a result, oil prices hit their highest levels in two years. And the group is working to coordinatedly, in a coordinated fashion, 
in a controlled fashion, increase supply each month for the next year. Another reason that gas prices aren't going anywhere is vaccine availability and, honestly, pandemic fatigue. That's the one. Yeah. It has led to looser restrictions, reopening offices and schools, people are traveling, and they're using more gas in general. This increases demand, and then coupled with OPEC's reduced supply, that leaves us with what they like to call a tight market, where there's just enough oil to meet demand and keep prices high for at least the rest of 2021. Yeah. I get very frustrated with OPEC because... When they coordinate like that, it sure sounds a lot like price fixing to me. It really does, you know? doesn't it? You know, I know after 2000 and, uh, 2007, 2008, the, the credit crisis, the housing crisis, all of that, uh, Bush went to OPEC to request more output to help ease, you know, finances for people, mm-hmm. drive gas prices down basically to make life a little <laughs> more affordable. And I think it was Saudi Arabia, Bush was asking for a million more barrels a day, which was, I think back then we were consuming something like 80 to 85 million barrels a day, somewhere in there. So he wanted a million more. And um, they were like, you know what, we'll give you 300,000, <laughs> which is like, you know, 33% of the request, but it's such a small right. amount, or 30%, it's such a small amount that it doesn't really mean anything. Right. It doesn't uh, actually impact gas prices at the pump. It doesn't do what he went there to get help doing. And we're seeing it again right now. Biden just went and requested, he's been pressuring uh, OPEC to output more oil to help ease the financial problems, the financial burdens caused by the global pandemic. And OPEC was like, I want another Lambo, though, so... Yeah. Actually, that's a really important talking point because in researching this, uh, I did come across several opinion articles that were like, Biden's hypocritical. He wants to reduce oil consumption, but he just went to OPEC and asked them to output a butt-ton more oil. The purpose of that is not because we want to produce and consume more oil. It is because that extra input will create some slack in the market and bring those oil prices down, which is a significant economic relief. Yeah. So and I'm, that is why it's not, it's not because Biden secretly loves oil. Right. I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody wants inflation to, uh, to start cooling down a little yeah. bit. So maybe if we stop artificially driving prices up, right. That, that would help. I don't know. Exactly. Just a guess. I'm not an econ- economic, economic, economist, economist. Got there. Exactly. <sighs> Even though we just talked about how presidencies and politi- uh, political parties don't necessarily influence gas prices, it doesn't mean that there's no argument there. And political partisan finger pointing is always, I don't know, in vogue. So Republican senators Jim Jordan, shocker. <laughs> yeah. Captain, I don't know how to wear a suit coat, and Chuck Grassley have been particularly vocal in their blaming. And one running conservative narrative is that gas prices will just keep going up with Biden or any Democrat. It doesn't just take one out, throw Democrat in there, and it's the same argument. Right. Uh, with a Democrat in office. Will the actions of the Biden administrations affect how much gas costs us in the near future, though? 
We do need to mention that the Biden administration's policies and perspective towards fossil fuel production and consumption could at some point have an effect in the market. The U.S. is a significant consumer of crude oil and products made with it, and speculation that we could significantly reduce that consumption can impact the future market we talked about earlier. But right now, and in the coming weeks and months, pandemic response and and OPEC production are way bigger factors than that. And as we mentioned earlier, nothing that Biden does is going to take our oil consumption from the uh, 10, what, what did I say earlier? 19 million barrels a day, almost 20 million barrels a day to zero. Nothing. I think the most aggressive policy that we have on the table, um, is what was once or parts of what was once the green new deal. And even those are a gradual step down. So the idea that we would be seeing significant impacts in the commodities market because of those kinds of policies just, doesn't play out logically. It doesn't track. Yeah. It's just the 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 juice ain't coming from that squeeze. It's not even that it's not worth it. There's just not that much juice there. Yeah. <laughs> I tortured that metaphor. It's okay. It's okay. It's a it's a fruit kind of day. Yeah. I started it and I was like, I gotta follow through. <laughs> commit, commit, commit. <laughs> it's just not gonna happen, as far as we can tell. Again, we're not economists but as far as we can tell and the research that we have seen the impact is not going to be that disproportionate from biden's policies right okay so what about inflation everyone's talking about inflation inflation this inflation that inflation this is rising inflation going to cause gas prices to stay high or even move higher is a question that a lot of people are asking when interestingly enough a lot of people oil prices and inflation are connected very connected but it's not inflation that drives the price at the pump it's actually the other way around the cost of oil affects inflation in several ways and researchers call this pass-through this was a fun little little divergence so the cost of oil has a direct effect on the prices of refined oil products like gas So any inflationary shock in the global market will increase the domestic U.S. prices of those refined products. That is one way that the cost of oil can affect inflation. It also indirectly impacts the price of consumer goods because many manufacturers use that crude oil or gasoline in their production processes and then they pass their increased cost on to the buyer. And then finally, in some cases, oil prices can trigger a cycle in which prices increase to a point where workers demand higher wages, and then higher wages may translate into higher consumer goods prices, and then consumer goods prices go higher and people ask for more money, and so on. So we actually see that the cost of oil can be a driving factor in inflation, which is another reason that President Biden went to OPEC and asked them to output more oil. That's why President Bush did it. It brings those prices down and can kind of cool that inflationary cycle. And there's also some pretty significant research that indicates that this pass-through effect is asymmetric. In other words, producers are really quick to adjust prices based on a drastic increase in oil prices, 
but they're much slower to adjust when there is a drastic decrease. Mm. So if you Shocker. want to see... can't imagine why. I know, right? Especially when you like ramp it up and get people used to paying a higher price. There's that price tolerance in there. And then you get a, a secret improved profit margin. Just yes. right there. Just right there. So if you want to see inflation level off or go down, you should probably be keeping an eye on the price of crude oil. I've seen a really bad faith argument circulating around uh, right now that talks about how the $15 an hour minimum wage has caused inflation to spike because inflation is higher this year, as if the pandemic never happened. Right. It's it's just really bad logic. And also... $15 an hour minimum wage isn't standard. Like that's not everywhere. That's no. pretty select cities. Overall, it's still the federal minimum wage or the state minimum wage that we we talked about. So yeah. I I've several episodes ago, you can check us out. Yeah. Um so I just don't get I know I know why they're doing it so they can they can claim cheap and wrong political points against the Democrats. It's just right. dumb. It's just so dumb. Anyway, Super dumb. not calling people dumb. The argument is dumb. Yes. Uh, so what does this mean for you and me as we stand there watching those numbers rise at the gas pump? <sighs> it hurts to pay as much as I do to fill the truck when we're going to the track, especially. Not as bad as it was in 2008, back when I was a really poor teenager. And the average price of gas was $4.11. I don't know that we quite hit that in Springfield. Not sure. Um, and I don't think that we did. Yeah, uh, I do. I do get wanting to be mad at somebody. That's that's like every, especially in 2008, it was really bad. People were choosing between like fuel and food. I don't think we're quite at that point right now. I'm sure some people are, and I don't mean to diminish their struggle. Uh, it just was much more prevalent in 2008, and it's it's it feels good to be mad at people but you should at this point understand that there's not really a single person or group that you can really pin the hikes on it's it's a constellation of factors we can blame 2020 we can blame the rona <laughs> honestly if you if you want to take the price of oil and probably several global economies we could all just go back to stay-at-home orders, uh, but that doesn't really resonate with the crowd that's complaining about gas prices, shockingly. Hmm. Um, shoot. <laughs> I mean, I would appreciate it, no lie. I was uh, <laughs> as I the U not mad about it. As the Utes would say, no cap. <laughs> yeah, I just learned that one. But I mean, oh, like, geez. when you get right down to it, if you really want to blame somebody, blame the free market. Blame capitalism. I mean... Supply and demand, baby. Supply, supply and demand. demand. And speculation is a pretty big factor there, too. That's not really the free market. That's some bullshit. I didn't yeah. say that. <clears throat> bullshit. Bull. Loney. Bull loney. Yes, that also. <laughs> in all reality, though, the crazy fluctuations that we think that we see in gas prices... And the patterns that we just know that we can tie to this politician or that policy can mostly be attributed to our good old friend confirmation bias. Hey. <laughs> hey. 
we see cause and effect relationships where we want to see them. And then we prioritize feedback that reinforces our beliefs. The price of gas when you adjust for inflation has remained relatively steady through infrastructure booms and auto booms and world wars. Even the outliers are not that far out. But because we see the numbers on the gas station signs change so frequently, we have a perception that those prices are far more volatile than they really are. And then we start looking for reasons and we pick the most recent factors that we can think of and, oh, hey, there was just an election not yep. too long ago. Yep. And don't get us wrong. That's not to say that the difference between $2 a gallon gas and $4 a gallon gas is relatively negligible. That's not what we're saying at all. It's no. just it doesn't hold water that that is due that those differences are due to political parties right a lot of other factors there this has been a pretty high level and broad ranging conversation about this topic we would actually love to have a literal expert on this on if anybody knows anybody that knows how gas pricing works Um, because frankly this research was really hard way harder than i was expecting i was I was expecting information to be much more readily available than it was, but it turns out that it's, as we discovered, it's difficult to break this down simply. So the information that we could find was either really oversimplified late night news articles and and (laughs) scripts and shows and stuff, or doctoral papers. (laughs) Very little in between. Yeah, you will literally see how stuff works cited in our sources for this episode because well that and a couple of doctoral theses 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 that sounds too much like feces anyway if you're just absolutely horrified by the tone (laughs) of this conversation how can how can they let us know (laughs) they can let us know by going to firesidebreakdowns.com. There is a handy-dandy contact form linked right up there in the menu. You can tell us to knock it off, or you can tell us if you think that these kinds of diversions make the podcast better, which is my personal belief. We don't give you 20 minutes of banter at the beginning of an episode, but we do like to uh, have fun throughout the episode. So if you like that too, please send us a note, let us know, leave us a review. There's a cool button for that at the top of the podcast as well. Um, If you would like to be a Patreon supporter and support us and maybe even get to hang out with us every quarter and do some fun deep dives into topics like this together or even just chat about stuff. Whatever you want. Exactly. You can click the little support button in the top right hand corner of our website and help us earn money to pay for a professional editor. That is currently our goal because we want to bring you the best quality podcast that we possibly can cool sound effects awesome intro outro music good and audio also, mixing i would really like my weekends back john Please. would really like his weekends back save me yeah free me <laughs> help me i was just thinking though our our, our quarterly meetup it could be fireside breakdown advice hour <laughs> oh <laughs> Bring lord us- Bring us your problems. We'll do a, a, a an advice radio show. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely gonna want to drink for that. That's the whole point, of course. Anyway, uh, good news. That's our habit. That's our our what we do here at the end. I I did want to add. We are attempting 
we're trying to see what happens when we let our hair down a little and uh, lecture a little less and yeah. reveal who we are a little more. So we actually are serious about that feedback of uh, if you like this uh, new and uh, more hip and cool fireside sort of relaxed atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, smooth jazz. Smooth jazz. <laughs> We've spent this whole episode talking about uh, prices and how much things cost and how much more expensive it feels like gas is becoming. But, but according to the Census Bureau, the number of Americans living in poverty declined overall in 2020 in no small part due to the relief programs put in place to offset the impact of business closures and, to, and the stay-at-home orders. The poverty rate dropped, the poverty rate, really want to enunciate that word, the poverty rate dropped from 11.8% in 2019 to 9.1% in 2020, which equals about 11.7 million people who are no longer considered impoverished. Now, that does not mean that the situation isn't still dire for many Americans. And it doesn't highlight the fact that the poverty rate among Hispanic Americans increased or that the poverty rate for Black Americans stayed the same. It also doesn't take into account the fact that just getting out of the poverty rate can actually make things harder on you if yes. you're not out of it enough. You might be above the poverty threshold, but you might be in a weird sort of gray area. We talked about this in the minimum wage thing one, yeah. I think. A weird gray area where you make too much to get financial help and you don't make enough to pay your bills, which yep. can be worse. Uh, but overall, it is good news. It means that 11 million people have more economic uh, resources than they did in 2019. And that is, of course, always good news. It is always good. I think... I really do think that's enough. We have voiced our opinions on so many things so, throughout this so episode. So many things. There's been trivia. There's been laughter. There's been... Other things. <laughs> My deepest, deepest apologies. <laughs> it is rather late as we record this. It and is. we might be a little slap happy. A little punchy. If you hadn't picked up on that, I know we hide it well. Yeah. So put together. <laughs> So put together. You want to take us out of here, Robin? I do. We are so excited that you joined us this week, and we hope to see you again next week when we will be uh, tackling some fresh from the headlines topics. Uh, we like to. We're trying this new thing where we're we're keeping it a little bit more relaxed every other week, talking about really timely stuff. So we hope that you will join us next week as we do that. Who knows what the headlines will bring us? But in the meantime, and until we meet again, take care of each other. Yeah.